So good to see you today, and I'm glad that you've chosen to be at Bethany Wesleyan Church. It's a wonderful privilege to be able to come together and uh, welcome you and to welcome those that are online. The passage we're looking at today as we're in the Fly Free series is taken from Matthew chapter 7, the passage Pastor Peter read a little bit ago. And I want to say to you at the outset, just very simply, I feel like the Apostle Paul must have felt when he said, not that I have attained. In other words, uh, I'm not quite there in every area of this, but I'm pushing for it when he was writing about another subject. Um, This is an area I continually have to remind myself and continue to grow in my entire life. Uh, Still in progress. But I know it is possible to do well because I have had times when I'm doing very well. And so I have watched the lives of other people and have seen them do very well. And it has to do with the idea of understanding when it is appropriate to, uh, to evaluate something, to possibly even judge something, and when it would be appropriate to not judge something. And so when you study the passage out, he talks to us clearly about not being a judge, then he shifts gears and talks to us about being a judge, and then he brings home the idea that humility supersedes and trumps all of this. So let's unpack this just a little bit today, and an illustration to help us with that is found with Stephen Covey. Now Stephen Covey's a guy that wrote the seven habits of highly effective people and then later added an eighth. I don't know if he's brought a ninth on or not. So I'm not sure we follow everything Stephen would say, but he said this. He said, on a Sunday morning I was riding in a subway in New York. People were reading their newspapers. People were quiet in thoughts to themselves. All of a sudden, when we came to a stop, a father got on with two children. The children were loud and rambunctious, disturbing the peace that was in our car. Finally, Stephen turned to him and said, Sir, your children are being very loud. Could you at least control them a little bit more? The man seemed to come to in that moment, back to consciousness, and he looked over to Steve and he said, Yeah, I guess I ought to do something. He said, We have just come from the hospital where their mother died an hour ago. He said, I don't quite know what to do myself. I'm sure they don't either. Stephen said it changed his whole perspective on the guys and his kids. And he said, instead of criticizing or judging, immediately I went into a different mode. I went into, how can I help this guy? How can I encourage this guy? What can I do to make his day a little easier, his time a little better? Maybe you've caught yourself on the subway before of life. And sometime in there, you maybe have thrown out some sort of judgment on some situation or some person only to find out a story similar to what Stephen expressed in his as he acknowledged something that was a very raw experience that he had. I noticed something about my Grandpa Boone when I was growing up. My Grandpa Boone loved everybody. My Grandpa Boone liked everybody. He got along with so many people. It was unbelievable. He loved horses. He worked at a grain feed store. He was a wonderful follower of Christ. But he had come to a point in his life where he realized he was not the king of the universe. And he didn't have to line everybody up about everything that they were doing or not doing. And he began to live his life. People loved to be around my grandfather. People wanted to be around him. 
As a matter of fact, one of my friends who passed away just recently at the age of 70 told me, he said, your grandfather is one of three people that influenced me to follow Christ. His attitude, his expression to me, the way he communicated to me, the way he cared about me, showed me that he loved me. And my grandfather was a strong person. He was a vice chairman of the board of a strong church in Missouri, a wonderful man of God. My grandma Federhoff, you didn't know her, but she too was a wonderful lady. My grandpa Federhoff was not a follower of Christ, and um, he passed away suddenly of a heart attack. My grandmother, a very wonderful lady, a follower of Christ, she had a large home. Fourteen different times she opened her home to someone who did not have a home to stay in. She opened her home in love, in kindness, in care, and said, I want to show the love of Christ. She fed them. She took care of them. She did whatever needed to be done. She was a remarkable lady. And I noticed something about my grandmother who took care of me when I was in a half-day kindergarten program. She would run around the house all day long while I was there humming and singing some kind of a song of the faith. I still can hear her humming those songs of the faith. People liked to be around my grandma Federhoff. She loved to laugh, and up till she was about 70, she would ride on uh, roller coasters and all kinds of things and go to Six Flags, which wasn't that far from us. Crazy, crazy, crazy. I can't do that with the equilibrium issue. But she would do that kind of stuff, and it was unbelievable. People wanted to be around. And I said, what is it that causes people like them to not be running around judging? What is it that causes them to have seemed to found the secret of this passage? And that has been a pursuit of my life, to just continue in that direction to where the further I go, when I have to, because of the role I'm in, call a decision and a judgment, try to do it with some bit of, some bit of grace and try to do it with talking with other people smarter and further down the road than myself. But it is not always easy, and I have swung and missed a few times. And I've asked God to forgive me for those times. But I want to look here because there are three important truths I want us to look at here of how to live in peace. That doesn't mean we get along perfectly every time, but how we can live in peace with those we may not agree with or understand. And in our world today, boy, do we need this passage. So as Christians, we're going to stand out different. And Jesus Christ speaks about hurtful criticism. As a matter of fact, he condemns hurtful criticism. Name calling just went out right there because there's almost always is an intent to belittle someone. No matter where you are, it's a, it's a condescending remark. In this, if we role-played anything, we'd be role-playing the judge. And a hurtful criticism is aimed to bring someone down, to taint their reputation, to question their ability, or to bind up their effectiveness in whatever it is they are doing. Hurtful criticism brings condemnation. It is almost, without exception, a divisive thing. In our political rancor right now, we can't discuss something in civil tones. It's always pitted to the point of almost a threat of life. It's terrible. It's not acceptable. We are better than this as a people. But that bleeds over into our families very often. That bleeds over into our schools. That bleeds over into our occupations. That bleeds over into our neighborhoods. They even have a show about it right now, Fear Thy Neighbor. It's a crazy thing that's happening in our world today. It does not build one another up in the faith as the scripture admonishes us to do. It does not create healthy relationship. It disrupts the idea of harmony. It does not bring wholesome love that the scripture talks to us about. 
It says to us in 1 Corinthians, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Jesus says hurtful criticism as he talks about it. Look at verse 3 of your passage. He says it produces an unhealthy jealousy. A jealousy where we compare ourselves to someone else or to something else. And we continually live with a jealousy attitude. If we're married to somebody and we're jealous every time they talk to somebody else, we want them to bring that person to ourselves and to never let them out in public. It becomes unhealthy. It's crazy. And we're better than that. And Jesus calls us to a higher level of living, doesn't he? He talks about unhealthy pride in verse 4. The attitude here is we say, well, let me help you with that problem when all along we have a bigger problem we're not even talking about and others may know about. You can fool all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Wasn't that Abe Lincoln that said that? It's not a Bible verse, but it sounds about like one, doesn't it? <laughs> and then in a look at verse 5 of our passage here, it talks about guilt. It can make a hypocrite out of us. Jesus is saying these words. And Jesus says, this can make a hypocrite out of you. He says, clean up your own problem before you go clean up someone else's problem. You hypocrite. There's no way to soften that word. He meant what he said, and he said what he meant. Don't be a hypocrite. Nudge your neighbor and say, hey, don't be a hypocrite. You can go ahead and nudge him. Elbow him real hard. Wake him up. Mother Teresa said this, and I like it. She said, if you judge people, you have no time to love people. One of the hallmarks of this church is that right now God has helped us as a church to be able to love one another. And there is a spirit of unity in this church. And we don't take that for granted. And we've got people with all kinds of backgrounds in this congregation and all kinds of things. Somebody was telling me not long ago, said, well, I came from a, and they filled in the blank with some kind of denomination of a more formal, uh, formal religion that they had come from. And I was over to Lee Heighton campus. And they said this, and I said, well, let me tell you something. If we had everybody stand up who was a Catholic, who was a Lutheran, who was, uh, you know, Episcopal, or everybody stand up who was, who was a Methodist or who was a Presbyterian, they said the majority of the congregations in each campus would stand. That's who's attending Bethany Wesleyan Church. It's a melting pot of all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds that are coming together and saying, I just want to seek Jesus. And that's what we want to do at this place is seek Jesus and let the Holy Spirit work in our lives and let the Bible continue to guide us in strength. And it's a beautiful thing as we're seeing people brought to faith in Christ and seeing our attendance grow. Just this last week, someone was talking to me and said, man, the church that they had been part of said they had almost no children at all. And they said, it's a shame. And the young people, and right now a lot of our children are down in Sunday school and in youth. And the emphasis in the announcements earlier about midweek activity and events is there to help lift the spirits of the young people, lift the spirits of the children when they're going into the school and into their soccer programs and into life to be able to encourage and inspire them. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. Jim Baker was a big figure in Christianity in the United States for many years. And many of you remember the zenith of he and Tammy Faye. And I remember that time myself. But then you remember the downfall, the unfortunate downfall of that ministry. And it was unfortunate. And he had been in prison for several years. And he got out of prison and he was now at a Salvation Army halfway house and he said, Franklin Graham called him up and said, I want to help you get a place. And he said, Franklin, you don't want to tie yourself to me. Franklin said, you were my friend before. You are my friend now. 
I thought that interesting. He was staying at a place not that far from where the Grahams lived and where they went to church in Montreat. And so Mrs. Graham called Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, and she called the place where he was staying and got permission for him to come to church. And so that very first Sunday after Jim Baker was dismissed from prison at the dinner table for many people, I am sure there was conversation about him and what all he had done, and probably some of it wasn't very nice around the nation as he was known across the nation. Big, big figure. He said the pastor greeted him with kindness at the door, ushered him down to the front of the church. The church was full. Two rows of Graham family members. There were two empty seats right there, and the pastor took him down to sit with the Grahams. He sat right there in one of those two empty seats. He said in a little while, a door opened up, and Mrs. Graham came in. She walked across the aisle, and she sat down right beside him, greeted him, welcomed him, after it was over, said, what are you doing for lunch? He said, well, I've got to go back. She said, no, i got permission. They said you could come to our house if you will. I'd like to have you at our house for lunch. I wonder what we had for lunch that day. I wonder if we talked about Jim that day. She had Jim at the house. She said, Jim, I need some addresses. We need to stay in touch and stuff. He whipped out an envelope. And she said, is that your billfold? He said, yeah, in prison they don't let you have a billfold. This is it. She said, just a minute. She walked into the other room, and she came back in a little bit. She said, here's an extra one that Billy had. You can have it. This is yours. And he said, that day I received love and kindness from the Grahams as they opened their heart and their home and a seat beside them for prisoner inmate 07407-058. I sat and interviewed with a church one time to see if they wanted to become part of Bethany Wesleyan. And they were asking me about how we treat people that are on their way to Christ and I talked about how we treated them and they wanted more judgment. And they wanted harsher truth in the face. And I wasn't interested in that church joining with us. And I want to tell you what I told that guy that day on that board and told that whole board. You can win more people with honey than you ever will with vinegar. You do not have to let down the gospel to reach into the heart of another person. Look across this congregation today. Every one of our congregations and that's who's sitting around us in the pews. Broken people being made new, and we want to double, and we want to triple, and we want to reach out more people in the community to fill every seat in this building until more people hear the gospel of Jesus, and they find hope, and they find love, and they find acceptance and forgiveness from Jesus Christ and the transforming power that he brings about in them. That's what he has done for me, and I know he can do for you. Now notice something else. Jesus commends, or he speaks about, helpful criticism. You say, now the fun part, Kev. Here we are, a doctor. Healthy self-criticism, self-judgment. Healthy is good. Helpful criticism, when it follows these next few verses, is good when it lives in the boundary of check and balance of other Bible passages. So let's look at it. Verse 4. We can see our own issues then helpful criticism is possible. 
Maybe I eat too much. Maybe I gossip too much. Maybe I have some thoughts I shouldn't have. We think about ourselves, whatever. We see the plank in our own eyes Jesus talked about. Verse 5. We become motivated to change. Jesus says, first, deal with your own problems, then deal with the problems out there. Second, he says this, after you've made those changes, he says, you can help others with legitimate situations. He said, look at it, look at the verse 5. Then you can clearly see to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Now, pair that with Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. And you begin to understand that only the spiritually fit, only the spiritually mature are supposed to involve themselves in the healthy confrontational rebuke of someone that would be in a congregation. It's quiet in here. And that's what it should be. Dr. Earl Wilson, a mentor to many across the Wesleyan Church, a leader par excellence, he was incredible. He wrote this in one of his writings. He said, accept your limitation as a creature and remember you are not God and give up your natural inclination to pursue the office of general manager of the universe. That's a fastball right down the middle of the plate. That's amazing. Well, let's look at number three here real quick. Christ speaks about full reliance on God. He expects us to have full reliance on God. When we have full reliance on God, we have a boatload of humility about us because we realize we couldn't save ourselves, but Christ did. It is Christ within us, not not us in our own strength. It's His righteousness. As we talked last week, it's His holiness shining through us and transforming us. And that's a beautiful thing. But notice Jesus calls us to the concept and the idea of prayer here. Notice in verse 7, the call to prayer. He gives us some instructions. He says here, in the continuous present tense in the Greek. That's the original language of this part of the passage. In the passage here, it is in the continuous uh, present tense. Keep asking keep seeking, keep knocking. In other words, continue to pray. Go ahead and do this. These commands are met with God's response. Now look at this. In asking we receive, in seeking we find, in knocking doors open. Doors don't always open the way we want them to open because we have a misguided prayer. There was a red-hot girl that lived next to my grandma and grandpa. She wore a bikini when bikini and sunbathing was considered cool. And I saw her, and she came to Sunday school some. She was smoking hot (laughs) to my junior high eyes. And I thought, Jesus, you have provided. You are so good. Could she be the one? Ask, seek, hello, knock, open up. And the Lord was kind of like, you little kid, you little guy, I've got something way better, way more awesome, way more cool for you. And in college, you know what happened? I never dated that other girl. She never knew I thought that about her. Who cares? I would never want her to know it now. That would be gross. 
But you know what? When I found Ethel and she asked me to marry her, I took care of everything. Humility and full dependence on God is the way to go. You know I had to die to my dream? I dreamed of this when Dr. Powers, my mentor, took me to a place. I thought we were going to build this in Kansas City. That's where I grew up. But God wanted us to build this out here among no one I previously knew. There is no glory to me. There is all glory to him. I was on TV for 10 years. I dreamed of that when I was a kid. And it happened. Among people I've never seen. And people I didn't know. I prayed, Lord, let us reach 120,000 people between here and Philly. That was a burden he put on my heart. How are we going to do it? 10 years. And we heard from a lot of different people. It's wonderful. Well, the humility is embraced by the surrounding verses here. Chapter 5, verse 7. God will have mercy on the merciful. Chapter 6, verse 14 and 15. God will forgive those that forgive. Matthew 7, verse 2. God will condemn those who condemn. Matthew 7, verse 2. God will judge with the same judgment that they use on others. I want to ask you two questions as we land. What has God said to you today? What has God said to you today? Second question, what will you do about it today? Lord, you have spoken through your word to my heart, and I've delivered what you have shared with me to share with these. I thank you for this privilege, and now as we baptize these wonderful people and a public declaration of their faith, may you continue to be with us and bless us in these moments. Bless at Palmerton, bless at Lehighton, bless with the online. May you bless all of us that we might bring honor to your name, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.